You're listening to For the Record, a registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Chris Dorston, the university registrar at Kent State University. And I'm Molly McDermott Fallon, assistant vice provost and university registrar at the University of Cincinnati. And this is Congratulations. You're the registrar. Now what? everyone. Welcome to For the Record. I'm Sarah Reed, University Registrar at UC Berkeley. And I'm Doug McKenna, University Registrar at George Mason University. Today we're going to be talking about what it's like to make the leap into registrardom or registrarhood or registrarness. I love it. Being the registrar. Being the registrar. Before we jump into the meat of the conversation, let's welcome our guests and learn a little bit about them. Chris, Molly, welcome to the podcast. Would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your institutions? You know, how many students, what degrees are offered, how many staff are in your office, what student information systems you have, and any other tidbit you may want to share about it. Molly, would you like to kick us off? I will kick us off. Again, I'm the Assistant Vice Provost and University Registrar at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati was founded in 1819. We're an urban university, Research One. We have 426 degree programs. Our current enrollment is 47,914 students. We are projected to be at 49,400 this fall semester. I have one director, two associate registrars, four assistant registrars, two program managers, three program coordinators, and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea that Cincinnati was that big. I know. Wow. Wow. Okay. Great. And growing. Yeah. And growing. And Chris, could you share? Sure. Uh, well, I'm uh, the University Registrar at Kent State. We were founded in 1910. Uh, we're an R1 institution. Uh, we have eight campuses. Uh, with Obviously, we have our main Kent campus and seven regional campuses. We have over 360 degree programs. Um, our total enrollment uh, is just over 33,000 students across our eight campuses. In my office, like as Molly introduced and her team, I have a senior associate university registrar, two associate university registrars, three assistant university registrars, and then probably 10 academic record coordinators and 10 academic record specialists. So we're a, a large, mighty office. Uh, Kent State is a, a mixed uh, campus, so we're located just about an hour southeast of Cleveland and about an hour and a half north of Columbus. Right on. So Chris, could you uh, give us an overview of your career path? How did you get where you are today? And then we'll go to Molly after Chris. I've been at Kent State for the last two years. Prior to that, all of my work experience was in a registrar's office at a community college setting. Um, So my transition to Kent State was a really fantastic transition, but there was a lot for me to learn about working at a university versus a community college. Things like just talking about colleges. Um, Individuals would talk about colleges and I'm like, wait, this is a college. Individuals are going to college here. I I don't understand what the difference is. Oh, 
colleges inside the university. Now I understand. Um, you know, that that wasn't explained uh, to me. Uh, you know, those were things I had not experienced in my, my time working at community colleges. You know, I've worked in higher education for, at this stage of the game, I'm starting my 23rd year at this point. And so all of my experience was a community college. And so all of these things that were university language that is common to someone else was not common to me. And so there, that was, was my learning curve. Our student information system is Banner. My experience at my last institution was a Banner institution. We used degree work. So the system component was not the transition for me. It was culture and language and you know, just learning about the differences of our institution. Um, so that's kind of really my path. Um, all in higher education, my degrees have my associate's degree and my bachelor's degree have nothing to do with working in higher education as seems the most Perfect. normal path for, for registrars. I would say my higher education credential came at the master's level when I did a master's in higher education administration. So. Before we move over to Molly, Chris, can I ask a follow-up question for you with regards to spending most of your time in you know, community colleges and, and making that transition what led you to apply for a role that was similar, but a different type of institution than what you were familiar with? I had wanted to, for a professional development perspective, as a personal goal, I had wanted to work at a four-year institution. I, as a, as a student in high school, I'll just maybe step back a little bit to kind of dictates where it was. I was that student that barely finished high school. Um, I squeaked out. I did not have great grades. I didn't feel challenged in, in school. And so education, uh, higher education challenged me. And I was really fortunate to stumble into student employment at my institution, which was in admissions. And I quickly joined the registrar's office at my first community college that I was at. Um, and that really was my path to to this. It really was my desire to grow personally and professionally. It was something I had had not done before uh, to be a registrar at a four institution. Kent is the third largest institution in the state. So to go from a community college to being the registrar at the third largest state institution was, I felt like a real reach. But it's been a, a really fantastic opportunity for me to grow as a professional, to, to learn about myself and to learn about Kent State. And, and I've really fallen in love with the institution I'm at. I don't honestly know where else I would go. And I'm an Ohio Ohioan for life. So it, it's also that <laughs> feeling as well. Molly, yeah. we will get to you, I promise. But Sarah, oh, no. you, we're good. You had a similar experience, right? Where you worked in law school and yeah. then transferred over transferred, applied and got the job at another kind of institution you want to share? Like what yeah. was your, what was your driver for, for that same question with the different kinds of institutions? Yeah. Thank you for asking. And it, it did prompt my question to, to, you know, for you, Chris, because similar, I'm in a similar situation and actually still in the midst of that deep transition. So yeah, I've, I worked for, you know, over 12, maybe 14 years and well, most of my entire career has been higher ed, but the most of that of that time, almost all of it has been in a law school as assistant and then very soon thereafter as registrar um, at two different law schools. And so, you know, for me, it was very similar reason, just wanting 
I really missed a big institution. I missed having the full scope of the student experience and also those type of colleagues, um, those conversations. I miss the culture of a big institution, uh, the diversity that is often in that space. Um, and then really it was just, you know, the professional development of, of scope. I really wanted a big impact a broader reach with the impact uh, to students, faculty, and staff. But it was a, and it still is quite a stretch. It's a stretched job for me. I'm very much enjoying it. It's similar to, to what you've shared, Chris, but it does invoke like momentary, repeated momentary imposter syndrome and really having to lean into that growth on a, like a moment by moment basis. So um, yeah, I appreciate you, you sharing that because you're obviously very successful. I'm here in the role trying to be successful. Uh, someone argues saying that I am successful, but it's, you know, being in the role versus being perceived in the role is two different things. So thank you for sharing. And thank you for asking, Doug. Yeah. And Molly, tell us about your career path. How did you get where you are? My, my career path. So I am a Bearcat for life. Yeah. I was a student at the University of Cincinnati and I never left. So I started off in our one-stop student services center as a call center student worker. Um, And then I just decided to stick around and just moved up through one-stop, which was a phenomenal experience based upon all the information that you get when you work at one-stop. You get financial aid, you get registrar, you get admissions, you get all of the goodies, a little bit of advising. And you would thought, oh, she went directly to the registrar's office. This is not exactly where I thought I was going to go. I thought I was going to move into a different world, but I decided and I became an assistant registrar at UC. Did that for a few years. My position changed as an assistant registrar. I became an associate registrar. And then um, I was actually ready to leave the University of Cincinnati. Um, I was applying to another position outside of UC. It was going great. The day of my final interview at this other institution, I get a phone call that says the University of Cincinnati Registrar had passed on the day of my final interview for another institution. And so that's how I became registrar here at the University of Cincinnati. Wait, sorry, just to clarify, you were immediately foisted into registrar. Uh-huh. I wow. became interim and then I became the registrar. Yeah. So I was in my final interview that afternoon and I got home. The person who called me was a reference. So I thought they're calling to tell me I had a reference check, right? And um, no, it was telling me that the current sitting registrar had passed that day. Molly, that is so intense. Can you uh-huh. walk us through how you even process something like that? Because clearly the universe wanted you to be university registrar. But I mean, what a jolt in expectations and then also the immediacy of a deep, deep transition. Could you talk to us about that? I mean, it really is one of those situations that you, there aren't any books. There isn't a website you can go to. There isn't a Harvard Business Review article you can read to say, how do you handle these situations? Um, I can tell you, you feel a little isolated. You feel a little alone because you're kind of going, what is my path? Am I going to be interim to registrar here at the University of Cincinnati, or am I going to go into this other position? I think for me, I really leaned on um, the Ohio Association a lot. I won't lie, I lied on Chris a lot. I had mentors in the state of Ohio that I called to say, what do I do next? 
like, <laughs> what do you do next? I don't have a path. I don't have an answer. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I don't know where my path, where I'm going to go. It's just kind of one of those those situations where it's like, I just need to talk it out with somebody. And for me, it was very helpful to talk about it outside of my institution because it's like, I know what's kind of happening here. We're all kind of in that you can't do much because you're being respectful and mindful of the person who just recently passed who had been in a registrar at the university for 15 years. But at the same time, I clearly was a top candidate for this other position. And it's like, so where do you go from here? Stars lined, I suppose, and I landed where I wanted to be all along at UC. But it's really a lot to process at the time. You're, you're processing the losing of, of your my supervisor for the last almost decade. I'm processing, I just got out of an interview for another institution. I'm processing, how do I lead a team who is kind of in this kind of shock period? So it's kind of a lot coming at you at, at one particular point in time. Yeah, that could be a case study in and of itself, Just not just the change management and the positional changes, but all of the other sort of emotional, social things that go on with grieving and with loss mm-hmm. and, and change management across the spectrum so that's wow yeah yeah i was gonna ask like when did you know that you first wanted to when did you first know that you wanted to be a registrar and that question seems silly in comparison to you know the experience that you went through becoming the registrar you see but i'm still interested when when was that first spark where you were like huh i kind of want to be a registrar for me, we went through a system conversion, and I thought during the system conversion, like, I want to be a registrar. I want to do this. And you're going, that is the craziest time to think you want to be a registrar. But it was. For me, I was like, I want to do this. I remember sitting in one of my MBA classes, and they said, what are your career aspirations? And I said, I want to be a registrar at a Division One institution in the state of Ohio. That's what I want to do. And it was like, I'm on my path. That's awesome. That's very cool. Chris, did you have that aha moment or was this just something like you fell into and haven't gotten out of? Mine is probably different than Molly's. I didn't sit in a class and think that this was going to happen. But, you know, when I, I think I, my real experience into probably deciding that I was going to have some path in, in this work was uh, my transition from, I would say, more of a support staff role into an assistant My first assistant registrar role, you know, I had a supervisor that encouraged me to further my education because I was told I would need it. And that was my probably stepping stone to transition from like, I'm doing this job just because into, I really want to do this work. You know, I stepped into being an assistant registrar when I was 26, 27 years old. So I, I think at that stage of life, nobody knows what they want to do. You're just kind of going through and, and, you know, I found myself about six years later uh, applying for a registrar position back at an institution. I had left um, my career path. If you looked at the institutions I've been at, I was at two institutions. I had a job. I left. I went to an institution. I went back to the institution I left. And then I left that institution again and went back to the one I was at. And then I left them again. So, um, you know, that, that component of it. Um, We're laughing because we understand. We understand. It's mildly interesting. You went to multiple, I did at one. 
you know, I, I, I always jokingly said I, um, you know, amongst good friends and peers, I've, I've traveled some of the institutions in Ohio. And I, I, I think, you know, when I w- went to my first transition as a registrar and returned back to a prior institution as a registrar and came here, this is just, this is my work. This is where I feel like I get to contribute to students. Um, I get to impact um, their lives and, and they may not know it, but um, I know it at the end of the day and I see it at commencement time. I know that I've had an impact on their, their life. And so that is the, the rewarding component. It's awesome. For me, I got laid off from IBM. <laughs> and oh, dun, dun, dun. I know terrible. I've written about the best thing that's ever happened to me though, um, was being laid off by IBM best professional thing getting laid off by IBM was amazing because I we'd just gotten married Claire started law school and I was providing and then had to temp Mm. and wound up temping at my alma mater at the University of Notre Dame and then got a job in the registrar's office as a degree audit coordinator and we needed the money I needed the job we needed benefits like and it was 2002 the reason I was laid off from IBM was the contraction of the economy following the September 11th 2001 mm. attacks which I flew into New York on September 10th Oh my! 2001. I was supposed to take a class with IBM for three days, September 11th, 12th, and 13th. And wow. so, like, this is a whole other thing. Whoa. Like synchronicity, divine intervention. Yeah. Next yeah. session. <laughs> and exactly, come back next time on for the record. Um, <laughs> And I had I had just a wonderful experience in the registrar's office at Notre Dame. I talk about this all the time. Dr. Harold Pace was the registrar, and he turned out to be one of the most influential people in my professional life. And he retired from Wake Forest a couple of years ago, and he just really put me on a path. And I found that this works, Chris, similar to you, really resonated with me. And it it is a way that... I can contribute to something that I believe in, and that's the power of higher education and uh, sort of that transformational nature and not, you know, have an effect on the institution. The registrar's office is one of those offices that like a lot of stuff passes through. So, and I've been a trailing spouse. So I've worked at five different institutions because my wife finished law school, moved to Michigan. She wanted to work for the feds. So we came back to DC and then, you know, 20 years later, here I am at Mason. And so it, it is not one of those things that I ever thought about doing as a kid. But then as an adult, I fell into it and realized that it really aligned with a lot of the things that I am passionate about and believe in and want to be involved in. So that's how I got here. <sighs> I know nobody raises their hand and, and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And people say, I want to be a registrar, you know, like that never yeah. happens. And actually, one of my advisors in my master's program, I was an associate registrar, and he said to me, you don't want to be a registrar your whole life. And I, in the back of my mind, I was like, I kind of do. Like, <laughs> why not? It's good work. Why not? Yeah. yeah. And what I've heard from all, you know each of you is that you know, things were difficult layoffs or, you know, obviously a, a death in the department, you know, deep transition and also transitions between institutions and and being promoted at a very young age. And then like turning those 
you know, lemons into lemonade, which is a skill set, I would say, of registrars. But let's break this down a little bit more. Like, could we talk about your first year under these, you know, times of intense stress and, and transition? What was your first months like? What was your first year like? What what was really painful? What was, um, you know, confusing or difficult? And what was also like amazing? What stands out? For me, I'll say my first year was like drinking from like 15 fire hoses at full blast all at once. Um, Well said. You know, I think in my mind, I thought, well, I know Banner and they use degree works, which I had used at my last system. I thought at least I'll be able to, you know, look up a student's registration. I'm not, you know, completely, completely lost, but, um, you know, learning all of our different colleges and learning who's in charge of those colleges and learning what are the priorities, um, all of that mixed in still. I started in 2021, which was still in p- very much in pandemic times. Um, yeah. you know, I walked into to the office the first day, no warmer introduction than meeting your supervisor and your staff wearing a mask. And mm. not, you know, there's no smiles behind any of that. Um, it feels very cold. You meet people for the first time. All of my interactions with my staff were on teams. There were even members of my staff and, you know, even still to this day, I sometimes laugh, you know, two years later at my institution, I'm still meeting some people in person for the first time. I'm interacting with folks that I have sat on calls with for years that I've not, you know, the last two years that I've not seen. Um, And so that is, you know, still somewhat challenging when you think about building uh, relationships with folks, um, being able to collaborate together with individuals. You know, the technology is great, but sometimes being able to sit down and have a conversation with someone is, you know, really helpful. You understand body language. You know, I've had yeah. folks say to me like, oh, I, I didn't realize you were so tall. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think I'm that tall. I'm not, you know, eight feet tall or something like that. Um, but it's not what, you know, people have ideas or thoughts about what you are, what you look like as a person. They don't know. Um, and it's hard to understand an individual's body language or, or you know, on teams or if, and now I, you know, we joke about the area of like, you see someone's face and it's just, you know, like the size of a nickel. And so if that's your interaction, you know, that that's hard. So that was challenging learning all of what my staff do. My breakdown of staff here is different than my last institution. And so learning what everybody does, who are the players in the office, who gets what done, um, understanding those dynamics, you know, was challenging. Um, and and also this happened in the era of the great resignation. I, you know, I transitioned a job and I'm like, gosh, I was part of that statistic in a way, sort of. I didn't leave my job because I didn't like it. I left because I had another opportunity to grow as an individual. But I've, I've had a great number of staff leave and change in my time in the two years that I've been here. You know, half of my office has changed in a two-year span of time. And so that's a big transition too, is like, you know, staff are going and, and juggling the, um, how, what, what priorities do, do, do we do? And at some points, even, you know, being the new university registrar and saying, we can, we're only going to be doing compliance work right now because that's all we have the staff for and having to to say that um you know i think it's something molly and i talked about and and our presentation at acro is like you know balancing out resources 
um, with staffing and, and so forth. So those are some of the challenges I think I experienced in my in my first year. All things aside, too, um, it was one of the best years professionally for me. I, I learned so much about myself, what I'm capable of doing. And I think that's kind of also the fun part of change is, is learning more about yourself and growing in that aspect. So, Is there any key nugget of what you learned about yourself that stands out from this deep transition? I think I would say the fun fact, Molly knows this. So I have a pretty significant commute to get to work. I drive an hour each way and it's not bumper to bumper traffic, an hour traffic to get there. It's 80 all the way um, for the most part um, is my is my commute. And so I think what I've learned in two years is you can do anything if you put your mind to it. I accepted the job knowing I'd have a commute. And I think two years in, it still doesn't, people are like, wow, you drive a really long way to get here. It doesn't phase me. I've determined my routine of who I talk to in the morning. I get to talk to some of my staff that are the early birds, which is great to have that granular water cooler conversation in, but we still get stuff done. You know, and even at night, I, I Molly is a victim or maybe say that <laughs> a beneficiary. A beneficiary. <laughs> we are both beneficiaries of, of my drive home because sometimes I think it's still a chance for us to call each other and say, Oh my gosh, can you believe that this happened on my campus today? Or I'm working mm-hmm. through this issue. How would, how would you deal with it? And I think that's, you know, also been one, one great nugget that's come out of um, Molly and I's new roles is it's brought our relationship, which could be its own session itself of all the things that Molly and I have done together um, in Ohio um, through OACRO and ACRO. Um, so it's, you know, that's also been one of the great nuggets of it. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. Molly, what would you say? What was difficult learning curves and great things that happened in your first year? I think for me, a huge challenge was keeping the trains on the track initially. You know, in that for in the first few months, it wasn't let's cause disruption or let's see what change we can implement. It's just let's keep the trains on the track. What do we like, Chris said? What do we need to do and get done to keep the institution moving? And from that point, it was like, okay, that's the goal. And then I became registrar and was like, all right, what's next? A big Big challenge for me was overcoming imposter syndrome. Do I belong here? Is am, and do people think I just got the job by default? Do I know what I'm doing? You know, I can say I did all these things for Acro and I've done these things for Acro, but does that mean that the institution believes that I I should be the registrar at a at a forty seven thousand plus person institution? And so that is something I battled year at like the, the my whole first year of doing it and then I finally decided I'm going to just be me I'm going to be who I am I'm not going to try to be anybody else and this is what you get and I think it's pretty good you know we're moving we're changing we're flowing um, but I think once I shed that I'm not trying to be anyone I'm not I'm not trying to impersonate a registrar that I've known for years and years and years I think for me that was the biggest challenge I also had turnover I'm relatively young, and so many of my staff members were like, well, she's going to be in there, I think, for a little bit, so maybe I need to see (laughs) if there are other opportunities elsewhere. And so I did. There was a core of us um, that we had been together for a decade, and two of them left for for other opportunities, and that was great and fine. We reorged the office, so we went through a reorganization. Um, We're implementing new products. 
we're, we're really on the innovative front. So it's kind of like you can see all of those things, but it's the challenges at first were just overcoming that. Yeah, I do belong. Yes, I do know what I'm talking about. Yes, you've just, you have thrown me into the deep end because everyone just assumes I have been part of all conversations. And I wasn't. I was in a lot of the conversations, but I wasn't in all of them. And so it was just saying, hey, pause. I need to be brought up to speed on what we're doing. And then I can, I am happy to help where we will get us where we need to go. But yeah, those were, those were my first year challenges of just finding myself in a space that wasn't voluntarily vacated. You know, when someone passes, you're just kind of going, how do I be respectful in the moment? But, and then when I decided it's time to make it my own, I think I've really started to thrive. Um, I'm very proud of, of what I've accomplished. Like Chris said, I'm very proud of, of what I can do. I think I've surprised myself on the weight I can carry, um, on the changes I've made, on the, on the recognition that people put on my office now because, because of it. So it's kind of like I'm stronger than I thought I was in, the, in this moment, and that's, that's refreshing to feel. Hey, Sarah, you're still in your first year or are you? Yeah, month, I think I just started month nine. That's amazing. <laughs> so how, how has your first year been? What challenges, what obstacles, what joys, successes have you encountered? Yeah, I mean, I'm counting months now instead of days. That's a, that's a plus. Um, I think that, you know, the biggest challenge for, there are many challenges um, that I'm still in. You know, some of the challenges that Chris mentioned of just that fire hose, 15 fire hoses, full blast, and you're, you know, just trying to process, much less drink them all. The colleges and schools, you know, like as a, a law school registrar, there's now you're doing the, the same stuff as a university registrar, but you may have... Um, need to speak up in more ways um, where here at co- the colleges will be speaking up in some of those aspects, right? So they are, the registrar doesn't need to speak up. They would need to speak up and then maybe I'm, you know, working more now on, you know, creating unification or, or things like that, but it's less me articulating the need. So there, there's just differences of like, what's my role defined in this larger scope versus what I'm familiar with, which, which is uh, an adjustment and just try to discern that in all environments. Like what's new? What, who are the players that relate to what my, my knowledge framework is and, and what's different? I mean, it's a huge campus. And then just, I think for my first few months have just been like, how, how do I, how, how am I going to possibly learn this information? It's so big. Who, how will I even identify who, who I need to speak with? Um, you know, there's, there's meetings that have been set up for me. Um, and in those meetings, I've asked folks, where is there anyone else? But just beyond that scope, you still have to figure out like, who are all the players? What do I need to know? What's pertinent now? What's history? What might I need to, act, you know, move and start having action with or, or deeper knowledge of? It's just processing all of that information while learning what your staff, my staff does, a huge team, uh, their needs, prioritizing that. It's just like the priority. So it's it's been a lot. I also have been super proud of some of the, the things that I've been able to implement, like uh, salary equity reviews and getting everyone on the team, significant uh, funding changes, you know, some as much as $30,000. Like it's, it's pretty significant Ooh. and hasn't happened for years. Yeah. Um, and then there's just, uh, you know, key pain points, you know, discerning what what's really the culprit of that and, and getting resources to teams. So there, you know, there's just a few months in. 
Um, but yeah, there's some things that I'm really deeply proud of. But yeah, it's moment by moment. And then also the person before me was very well loved. And so also identifying like, who am I? What is my contribution? Because I've always worked in places where it's been change management. But now it's, you know, that person was amazing. And, you know, how are you going to impact this environment, which is a challenge, a great opportunity. Have you, as Molly and Chris sort of alluded to, have you experienced um, staff turnover in any significant way? I think that turnover happened before I started. So there was, you know, about a third of the office that left during that time. And so I'm more in the aftermath of we're deeply understaffed and then how to get staff when there's a new budget model change um, and, yeah, budget constraints. Because when I started at Mason in 2019, I wasn't there for a full year before I sent everybody home for those two weeks that we'll all be, you know, (laughs) we're going to flatten the curve and uh, yeah, we're still coming back. But about a third of the staff has left and turned over since I became the registrar. And I, I think that this is common enough that each of us has experienced some level of this. I try not to take it personally. I, I mean, I'm not for everyone. I get that. But I, I do think I, I'm wondering sort of out loud and Chris and Molly looking to you in to get your sort of reactions on this. Yes, we're dealing with sort of a, a shuffling. It, it's not really, everybody didn't just resign. It was like a great re-swizzling because people went to other places. And so when people come to you and say, welcome, I'm leaving. How did you deal with that? How did you respond to that? What steps did you take? Those kinds of things. What were your reactions? So for me, mine came about a week before we closed down for our winter season days. So UC closes down between holiday at the end of the semester and then to to June, January. Not June, January. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, that is a perk. (laughs) Uh, I wish. I totally wish. Um, So I had a little bit of time prior to our closure to prepare. It was, and they kind of told me within three days of each other. So it was my associate registrar and my assistant registrar, and they were part of that initial core that they were leaving. And for me, I congratulated them. I just, congratulated them on the opportunity that presented itself to them and that they were moving on to an opportunity that they thought was for better for their career growth. I just shared, we need to make sure we have a complete knowledge transfer before we go and that it's all documented. But um, I did, I congratulated them and and supported them and said if they need to do anything in the future to, to go for it. And we posted and moved on. Right on. I would say for me, I have a little bit different. So knock on wood, knock on my desk while I'm here. So my leadership team hasn't changed. It's really been my staff. I, I did have one leadership position change. One of one of our uh, associates had um, another opportunity that was one of those ones where institu- I just I couldn't compete. Um, they were going to be getting significantly more compensation that I would never be able to match. They were getting more flex, a more flexible work schedule than what we were offering at that stage of the game. And, and so I, like Molly, congratulate them. You know, I think we became more, I think we became stronger 
with those departures. I think we all learn things about where we maybe didn't have our policies and procedures documented as much as we wanted, where, you know, our processes weren't, wasn't documented as, as best as we wanted. You know, we learned from some of that. I think it gave some opportunity for internal promotion inside our own department, which I, I'm a huge proponent of internal promotion. Um, I think it's helping people see what they don't see in themselves sometimes. And so for me in my office, I've had some really great internal promotions. Um, and, and Sarah, to your comment, you know, the, in one case I had an employee um, they may, their internal promotion got them almost $15,000 more a year to someone. They may, you know, someone may say, well, that's not really that much money, but to someone who is making $30,000 a year to $45,000 a year, that's life-changing money. And so, you know, to be able to make those kind of changes and see those kind of changes happen are, are truly fantastic and have been, you know, probably one of the greater I think we all look for joys in our job, right? Unfortunately, as registrars, sometimes we have to say no. That's not always fun. Um, and so these are the things that make, you know, for me, I love I love interviewing people. I love it. I love to be interviewed. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy the, the thought process around why people are asking questions. I think it talks about culture and you learn about individuals, institutions. And so... I love the component of change. I think it's fun to learn why people want to grow and, and how can I support that? So it's kind of fun. Well, Molly and Chris, um, you know, this is, this is, I really have enjoyed this so far. I have a question for you. Both of you have mentioned uh, several times your reliance on each other, your relationship as a sustaining source of support and guidance for both of you at various times in your career, or even most recently, how did you two meet? And how have you, from that point, fostered your relationship? Because I'm not sure how long you've known each other, but I'm curious about how you've gotten to where you are, where it's a point where you call each other every day on the ride home. And And for the listeners at home, upon hearing the question, the facial reactions (laughs) were remarkable, both Chris and Molly. So Laughter. We actually met... um, at a, I would call it a regional conference. Um, it was Great Lakes Acro. So it was Indiana, Michigan, and in Ohio. Um, we had a, a conference of the three states together in Indianapolis. And that was at the stage of the game that Molly and I were both going on the board of directors um, for Ohio as vice presidents of different things. And I, Molly was over... Uh, our workshops and I was over our program and we both like are these young spry, not that we're not still young spry individuals, but we were definitely 10 years younger than we are today um, or more. And we were both looking at each other. Like how did we end up on the board of directors? Like (laughs) we're too young for this. And I think, you know, a little bit of, you could say our own imposter syndrome in ourselves at that stage of the game. Like how did we get here? Um, and I think Molly would say, I'm trying not to see all of her thunder on her, her thought process on this, but we have followed each other everywhere we've gone. It, it's, it's almost like if Molly does something, 
um, I do it, or if I do it, then Molly does it in some way, shape or form. We follow each other through, through our path. Are you talking about career changes or things that you're on? Like what what are we talking about here? A little bit of both. I would say like Molly got married first and I got married after Uh her. I became a registrar first. Then Molly became registrar. Mm -hmm. We have did different things throughout our time with OACRO, but we've just been connected to each other. I would say at the hip for the last 10 years. And then I'll. So it was kind of an instant connection for, for both of you. Is that correct? Yeah. I would say so. I, 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 even when I was going outgoing president and going president, I have followed Chris way more than he followed me. So we both got on the board together and then Chris went on and did, was our LAC co-chair. I came off the board. I became LAC co-chair. Chris became pre- um, president-elect of OACRO. The next year, I became president-elect of OACRO. So then Chris became president, and then I became president, past president. And then um, we just have kind of what Chris does. Usually, I'm about a year behind, but not always. But that's usually how it's, how it's been for us. I think our personalities, I think you can kind of tell we both have pretty big personalities. Um, I think that <laughs> that we just kind of lend each other and that way we're creative, we're we're out there, we will we volunteer for everything. If there is a volunteer needed, I think you'll always find that Chris and I have our hands up first and we're willing to jump in. We're ACRO co-chairs together. We presented at ACRO together. We're the entertainment co-chairs for OACRO together. So we just always seem to be stuck together. Joined. And, and just to clarify, because I, I know that with ACRO, when you're president-elect or whatnot, elect in any position there is my understanding is that there's an overlap in training and so that seems like that may have helped foster a relationship as well it did and i think what really also kind of really brought our relationship even closer is chris and i had to lead our organization during covid so covid hit during chris's presidency and then it was still active during mine and so i think just that that experience you know you're we're in this one together there's nobody that we can say how would you have done this because nobody's led an organization like OACRO through a pandemic and so I think that really just continued to build our relationship we were BFFs before but I think that really allowed us to every day say or text or check in almost on a daily basis I think that's awesome I think it also speaks really highly to the kind of support that is available through the regional associations and being active and involved and engaged in them often leads to these kinds of relationships where you get on a committee together and then, or you are like stair-stepping through uh, roles together. And I, I just find that really helpful. I'm interested to what year was the Great Lakes 2012 or 2013? I, yeah. I just, it was the one after because they do them every. I was in active in UMACRO when I was at Michigan State. And I, I want to say that the last Great Lakes one that I went to was 2009, maybe. So somebody will fact check me and be like, that's not when the Great Lakes one was <laughs> held, Doug. I, I'm not looking at it right now. I'm just, you know, stewing. So. I would add one more component to our relationship. I think it, again, because people can't see us or, you know, if you geographically, unless you pull out a map, um, geographically speaking, we're 250 plus miles away from each other. So 
it's not like we see each other every week or every month. Um, we can go spans and have gone spans of time, especially during pandemic where we didn't see each other at all, you know, and then, and then there's some others where, you know, we'll see, it seems like we see each other back to back multiple months for some purpose. Um, and so I think that's also a component. I think for others in the value of OACRO, ACRO is you do meet colleagues at annual meetings or at events for these organizations that become lifelong friends and resources for sharing information. And so I think that's also a, a component I just want to mention. Yeah. I didn't realize how big Ohio was until I got tickets to fish for two nights back in 1997. And one <laughs> of the shows was in Cleveland and the next night was in Cincinnati. And I was like, that's great. I'll just go to both shows. And then like, pulled out the Rand McNally road <laughs> Atlas and was like, Oh, I'm going to need two different hotels. Like I, you can't, like, that's not, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it, see this kids and a road Atlas <laughs> is what was available to find your way. I was going to say you're dating yourself here. Right. Yeah. What? There's no Google Maps? Yeah. That's right. This is before like MapQuest before any of that. So, but not before the internet. <laughs> fine. Thank you. Um, okay. What has surprised you about being the registrar? And or what do you wish you'd known before you became the registrar? Chris, let's go to you first. The surprise to me that people wouldn't know is just the unique situations that we run into. And, and, you know, I think sometimes registrars are just seen. I think we sometimes, because we're the keeper of policy and we're the enforcer of policy that you come off as negative because you say no. And in this day and age, we don't, that's not a, that's not a no. We don't say no. Right. Um, But we're forced to, in our roles to say, no, we can't do that. Or no, we can't make those things. I think the part that surprised me is like, I remember I had one meeting with an accreditor here in my office and the accreditor said, you are by far the most fun registrar I have ever worked with Um, any accreditation site visit. And so I think it's changing some of that as well. You know, I think the surprise to me is that we're humans just like everyone else. We're doing our work that we're expected to do. We're holding up the policies that um, faculty, deans, vice presidents, presidents create that we're, you know, the enforcers of that. And, and sometimes, um, you know, we're in that component. I think those are things that surprise me about our work is, you know, we, we get to create some really great outcomes for students. Um, and I think it's also surprising people who think we're just going to be boring. You know, I think like if you wouldn't see me on camera, you don't know who I am. Like they, you assume sometimes that they're this person from 1800 that, you know, it's just been around <laughs> forever. And I, and I love, I think there was at one point, Acro did an article about a registrar who had been in the role for 50 plus years. And the person indicated how much they loved the change that they got to have over the course of their career. And I think that is just one of the best things that registrars get to do is to change and, and be the hidden backbone of the institution that folks don't get to see. Chris, is there anything that you wish you would have known before you became a registrar? Uh, how much fun it is. I, I honestly, I love my job. I mean, there are, uh, everybody could say there are days where you're just like, oh my gosh, okay, 
today was it. <laughs> this was this was just it. I, I tell my boss probably 98, 99% of the time, I just, I just adore my job. I don't know what else I would do. This is all I've ever done. You know, everybody has a bad day. I think everybody's even, in, I'd say, somewhat entitled to a bad day. But it is is one of the just best things about about my work. Awesome. Molly, what would you say? I think what surprised me is the pride I take in my team. I have found I am so proud of the ideas that just pop up out of them and, and with the capacity to implement, to say, if we do this, it's going to change this student experience. We're going to be more inclusive in this space. We're going to be able to make a difference here. That that was surprising to me is just the pride that I, that I have in my, my team. It surprised me how much of an impact we make that you don't always see and how many conversations people want you to be a part of because you can make a change. I think it was said earlier, I look at the registrar's office as the heart of the university. Everything passes through us at one point in time. And if you don't have a registrar's office and strong registrar's office, you can kind of feel that throughout your institution. And so knowing that you're the heart of campus and that other people are starting to recognize registrar's offices and the importance of the registrar's offices. We're not a registrar's office of 30 years ago, 40 years ago, where all we do is record keep and we make sure we get those grades done and we make sure we get them on the transcript. That is not us. We are data people. We are innovators. <laughs> we are advocates for student change and for students to be successful. We are all of these things and we're policy keepers. And yes, we are still record keepers at the end of the day, but we do so much more. And so I found that surprising and how many people were like, I didn't know the registrar's office did that. I wasn't sure of the red. Who does that on this campus? We do. And we do it so well, you don't even know that we do it. That that surprised me every day. But every day I, I enjoy it. But it's the pride. It's the pride in the work we do. And that when you see a student walk across that stage of graduation, you know you played a part in the success of getting them there. And that's, and that's the coolest piece. What I say I learn, I think I'm going to echo what Chris said. You're going to have bad days. Not every day is fantastic. I learned that I needed to give my myself permission that not every day is going to be the fantastic, fabulous day that I think or hope it's going to be. Um, you're going to have bad days. You're going to make mistakes. You have to give yourself permission to make that mistake. You have to know that not everybody is looking at you going, oh my gosh, Molly made a mistake. No, they happen. We're life. We're human um, to learn from it. But every day I, I love my job. I love that I get to work for my alma mater. I love the impact that I have on students every day. I'm excited to be a registrar at the University of Cincinnati. These are like things that could be marketing pieces because these answers are just, your answers are just so great. And this should really be filmed podcast because there are gestures that happen behind the scenes. I'm cracking up at Doug doing the the dab and (laughs) and during this. So it's, it's been really fun. Okay. Last question is what advice do you have each of you for someone who is moving into the role of registrar for the first time or at a new institution? You know, from my experience, um, I use your new card. 
I said this in our presentation at Acro, use your new card. Take advantage of that time. Um, explain that you're new. Ask a lot of questions. You know, I, I, coming from a community college to a four-year institution, I had to ask what acronyms meant. Some of this may be just common lingo. People just start talking and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you, yeah. can you, time out. Yep. Uh, yeah. Back it up. But oh. before you finish that, Chris, I think that's really important though, because I think that's where imposter syndrome can come in because you are, you have been a registrar if you have before, and then you're at a new institution and it's like, do I look like an idiot? Am I supposed to know this? You don't know. So yep. thank you for sharing that. And, and I would say if you're a, a new registrar or someone who ascends from being an assistant or an associate, you know, I remember when I went from being an assistant registrar to being the registrar, faith in yourself. You interviewed for a job and folks had the belief that you were the, the best candidate to take the job. And so I think that has to be the inspiration in yourself that, yep, even days when you're going to doubt yourself, you have to believe that they hired you, they hired you for a reason, and you're just going to continue to show them and prove to them why they hired you. And I think that's you know, my advice that I would give to somebody that's stepping into it in a, in a new space, if you've never been one before, or you're making a step from an assistant or associate to a registrar. Thank you. Molly, what are, what are your thoughts? My advice is just remember that you're watching your entire film, but you're seeing everybody else's highlight reel. You stop comparing yourself to other people, I think would be my advice, especially if you're moving up within your own institution or coming in from the outside is don't compare yourself to others. Just be you. Just do what you know what to do. Like Chris said, you interviewed, you have the skill set, you were hired. Be you and don't try to be anyone else other than your authentic self and you'll do and do great things and be successful. Um, I also would say look and acknowledge your staff and know that your staff does a lot. It does a lot and just saying thank you to them goes a really, really, really long way, I think. But that would be my that would be my advice is just take a deep breath and be your authentic self as you go forward and you will be successful. This has been amazing and it's been very like cathartic for me as someone in the in this transition to just be a part of it and listen to. So um, for me personally, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. Doug, do you have any closing thoughts? Only a tag on to the new card. I waited tables for a bit in college and for probably six months, it was my first night waiting tables. People give more grace to people when you acknowledge your newness. And another thing that when I worked with the Franciscans in high school and in college, there was a thing about when you go somewhere or when you start a new initiative or, or something, keep in mind that there's nowhere you can go that... I'll be religious for a moment where God isn't already and understand that you're not bringing as you move into the registrar position, something was there before and there's a staff that is there and a certain amount of humility in adapting, adopting and uh, transitioning into a new position also really has served me very well because people are so much nicer to someone who says, can you help me? Than someone who comes in and says, this is how it's going to be done. It's just a, a shift in perspective and approach that the new card 
calls to mind. And I really like that as how to approach a new job, like use the new card, be new. Everyone knows you're new. (laughs) There's no point in like trying to pretend that you're not new. And so just being authentic about what you're experiencing and how you're doing it. And, you know, and then to be open and honest with people about, I don't know what that acronym means. Yeah. I need help. Yeah. 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 Can you help me is just a, a really important phrase to learn as a new registrar. So I'll just add one final thing. You know, for me, I would say you know, like deeply invest in your, your colleagues and teams. Like, you know, that's your source of strength, even if there is a rebuilding that, that needs to happen or some change management of just really putting that time and energy into establishing trust and connection and a really deep understanding of what people do um, and their, their potential uh, current and potential contributions. And then I would say that my other, my other recommendation would be, you know, not, not immediately uh, unless it really deeply calls for it, but also trusting your instincts. Like if you're seeing things that should change or ideas that you may have, you know, to, to really listen in to that intuition. Again, that like to Chris's point, like that's why you're hired. There's something that they saw in you that they needed and to trust that you, your, your insights, obviously, you know, fact check those and get some information, you know, to make sure, but that they're, they're there for a reason. And just because it may not have happened before, doesn't mean it's not a good idea. I would also add, I think there's so much value in a mentor to have a mentor. I think we haven't like talked a whole lot about it, but call back. We just did a mentoring episode. So yeah, you know, like a mentor within your institution and a mentor outside of your institution is huge, especially when you're moving into a new role because it's somebody that who has your, your best interests at heart and has a great way to bounce ideas. Molly's boss is one of my mentors. So that's been um, lucky for me. You know, I I would say uh, she's now the provost at my last institution. She was just a fabulous mentor to me and an encourager, um, a believer and, and kind of pushing me and allowing me to make mistakes. You know, I think there's a part of that um, with a supervisor as well is hoping that you own up to your mistakes to them and hopefully they give you a lot of good grace. I I think that, but the the mentor piece is huge. I I do attribute a lot of my professional transitions to having some really great mentors. That's awesome. Chris, Molly, thank you both so much for taking the time to share your experiences with us and with the membership, the listenership. And Sarah, to you as well, thank you for sharing the road that you are on in your nine months so far at UC Berkeley. Yeah. And thank you also to you, Doug, for for your, your insights and your transitions as well. This has been such a great episode. What a great conversation. Sometimes there's a couple of weeks lag between when we record the interview and when I come back and do the editing. And it's always nice to hear those nuggets of wisdom and practical pieces of advice from guests upon re-listening. So thanks so much to Chris and Molly for sharing with us their experiences of stepping into the role of registrar and for providing reassurance and encouragement to others who are facing the same or similar professional changes. And thanks very much to you for listening. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Wait, wait, that that's probably trademarked. Sorry, Casey Kasem. Until next time, 
Be well, be kind, be hydrated, fight the patriarchy, and demand global climate action. I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record.